Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Ibanez Guitars and Basses. Ibanez strives to make high-quality, cutting-edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy. Visit Ibanez.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Surges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Welcome to another episode of Dear Joey. Now, if you guys have been listening to these episodes... Joel has them, AL has them, I have them. We're answering your questions. So if you guys have a question for us, let us know. You can just send us a little email to uh, al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy with the subject, Dear Joey. So yeah, I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Actually, I'm in Burbank which is uh, pretty far from Los Angeles, to tell you the truth. And we are here for Nail the Mix with Tua Madsen at uh, NRG, and he's mixing Meshuggah. I just have to say for just a second that this is amazing. I, I never thought that I would be in this position where we would have Meshuggah on the show. So that's really rad. And if you're listening to this episode long after that's happened, just know that it was dope when it happened. So anyway, we're going to roll right into these uh, questions, and, uh, you know, I haven't even read these questions in advance, so if, if some of them are weird or whatever, I apologize. You know, that's life. People are weird. Me included. All right. Number one comes from Mr. Charlie. Charlie says, Dear Joey, Joel has hashtag no small time, and AL has F it. What is your motivational slogan that helps you when you work? You know, I've actually thought about this a little bit, um, and I don't think that I have it quite figured out, but I do have something that I've been saying recently just because I've been inspired by people like Tony Robbins and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and stuff, and it's uh, start before you're ready. And what that really means is, you know, there's there's people who put all of these roadblocks in front of them uh, between them and their goals. You know, maybe they want to be, you know, a badass audio producer, but they tell themselves, well, I'll do that once I have a studio. And they, they say, well, you know, I'll start doing that once I get my SSL board and put it in my studio and. And then they say, well, I'll do that once I get my bank loan, and I'll get my bank loan once I start my business, and I'll start my business once I learn how to start an LLC, and I'll learn how to start an LLC once I you know, finish school, and I'll finish school once I pick a major, and I'll pick a major, like on and on and on to the point where it just has no hope. And so the big thing that I've learned from my own life and my own experience is to just start before you're ready, dude. Like if there's something you want to do, just start doing it. I mean, there's no excuse now. I mean, we're we're living in a world <laughs> where our fathers had it so much harder than us. We we have all the information at our fingertips, anything we want to know in an instant, communicate with anybody in the world at any time in an, in a flash at the touch of a uh, of a button or a click. It's insane. There's no excuse. So, yeah, start before you're ready. I like that. This next question comes from Kevin. He asks, hey, Joey, love your work. Thank you, Kevin. He said, I recently found out that you actually worked on my favorite band's record, Two-Faced Charade, from Famous Last Words. Maybe it's Charade? Charade? Yeah, Charade. 
And he said, what was the process like with that album, considering it was a psychotic concept album and the band wanted it a certain way? Also, at the end of The Show Must Go On, how did you get all of those vocals to fit with three-fourths different songs into one? And what was it like with the orchestras on the album? Thank you, Joey. Keep up the great work. Well, the first thing I have to say, Kevin, is uh, I can't take all the credit. There was actually a lot of people involved in the album, but my good buddy uh, Nick Sampson uh, did the production on that. He actually did a lot of the programming as well. And then I came in at the end and did a whole, I did a whole layer of programming myself, uh, the Joey Sturgis layer, I like to call it. So uh, I can't take full credit for that, but I can tell you that there was a lot, and I mean a lot of thought that went into this album, not just conceptually, but even musically. And Nick Sampson, you know, I hand it to him, he's a musical genius, and and also the, um, you know, I'm not going to forget his name right now. I uh, just literally just traveled like I flew for six hours and I worked out for two hours. I'm incredibly tired. Uh, so I apologize for forgetting his name. But the lead vocalist for this band is also a musical genius as well. So the two of them, you put them in a studio for a month and <laughs> you're just going to get some crazy shit. And then then they hand it to me and I just put my whole stank on it. So, um, yeah, I mean essentially when you work on a project like this uh it's kind of a process of just adding on layers and layers and and as you're working with the songs and you're solidifying things and and committing to things it's really easy to just add new things on to on top of that and to give things a try and so i think it was uh their concept from the beginning to especially on um the show must go on to sort of kind of reflect on the whole album and bring back all those um, songs into one. And I think the challenge of doing that was finding, you know, the chords and, and making all the melodies work and stuff. And that I probably lend that to, to Nick and the band because I didn't have any part of that. Um, I did have to mix it, which was very difficult. This is a very layered album. So mixing something like that takes a lot a lot a lot of practice uh, and experience just working with eq you know layering eq figuring out how to get uh, dynamics to shift around sometimes you need dynamics to lock in and then you need to release them and let them flow around and and be loose and then uh, i don't know it's it's not something that can easily be explained especially on a, a little podcast like this but if you pay attention to my workflow and how i work um like on my nail the mix sessions you'll know that it's all about getting something squared away so that you have control over it and then also setting yourself up to have lots of control some people just kind of leave themselves you know with the track like let's say it's a string track and they might just have a string you know a string section four different string tracks well they'll just leave it as those four string tracks but you know, I might break out the, the two high strings as a high group and the two low strings as a low group and then put the high group and the low group into a single group. And now you have, you know, uh, the four original tracks plus the two groups and then the last group. So, you know, giving yourself that level of control is what makes it easier to digest uh, large projects like that. 
So, moving on to the next question, Mr. Blake, he asks, hey guys, love the podcast, love you, Blake, thank you very much. He said, recently I just joined Nail the Mix, that's awesome, virtual high five, bro. I was wondering, what drum samples are used in the intro to the Ultimate Recording Machine podcast? <laughs> Thank you in advance. Uh, thanks for noticing, Blake. I have no clue, to be honest with you. We hired uh, George Christie to make a series of songs for us, and um, that one just seemed to stick. I, I really like that one. There's other songs. Um, we just don't use them. But uh, yeah, reach out to George. I would imagine he probably used Steven Slate. I mean, that's the easy thing to use, right? Everybody's got Steven Slate. Just load that bad boy up. Boom. You got it. All right. Next question. Oh, Mr. Bobby. First off, thank you so much for everything you guys are doing. Oh, my heart melts. He says, I'm learning so much, and I've never had so much ambition and drive for the craft. I did have a quick question. I produced, mixed, and mastered an album for a band, and they just got picked up by a decent label. I know people have mentioned getting royalties for all the hard work going into the album, and I was curious, at what point should I start negotiating royalties and commissions for my production and recording work? Also, do you negotiate these things with independent labels? With best wishes, Bobby. Bobby, you're too late. You need to negotiate before you even start. Before you even have the band at your studio. Before you even agree to the project. You need to negotiate what those rates are going to be. Um, now, a lot of people will tell you differently. And I'm going to tell you from my experience that this is not the right way. So the, the, the school of thought and what everybody will recommend you is to do it in the room or to do it right after you write the song. Um, and a lot of people still work this way. You know, you, you'll get in a room and you'll write a, and we write a song and we'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll settle the paperwork later. Uh, you know, now that we've done the song, we know who's getting what and it's going to be, you know, straight to the point, black and white. That's never how it works. That's what they say. That's what everyone says. And then when, as soon as you get the lawyers involved, everyone starts arguing about it. Even if it's not you, you you'd be surprised how this works once you get higher up because then you have different interests involved so if you have a manager you have your manager's interests uh, if you have a lawyer you have your lawyer's interests and you have your interests and so you know even if you tell them like hey guys i want this to be 20 percent um you know they they can fight for your 20 percent all they want but that you have to think of the other side is doing the same thing so the band might say well we want you know we want 90 percent. so now there's not 20 percent left and so the lawyers and the managers go after it, and they fight for it. And so you, you've got two sides, two, two um, businesses or whatever, I guess, trying to work together. I prefer to, you know, I like to structure my shit where it's just a flat fee. Uh, and when I say fee, I mean a percentage. So, like, I'll say, yeah, I'll help you write your whole album, but you got to give me 10% of every song, regardless if I write the whole song or if I write... 1% of the song, or if I write 50% of the song, doesn't matter. You give me 10%, I'm happy. Um, sometimes that's easier to digest. Some bands still don't like that, and they like to argue, well, you didn't help with lyrics on this song, so you shouldn't get 10%. You know, uh, whatever. I just like to, you know, bottom line, get it figured out before you even start even, the you know, doing any work, and before you even start agreeing to other stuff 
you know, I would I would agree on this step first, and then agree on the other details as well. Um, so yeah, you've already done the album, so that kind of sucks. I mean, you're not going to have a big foot to stand on. Um, so I would ask for something small because it'll be easier to get. The worst thing is if you ask for something big, and they're like, sure, but then they actually never pay you. That sucks. So that happens too. Be careful. All right, next question. Dear Joey, question regarding additional low-end percussive elements, including subdrops, timpani, and 808s. I'm asking you because I'm in awe of what you achieved with the Born of Osiris album Tomorrow We Die Alive, which featured this kind of thing heavily. I find that I, I am able to get a big fat low end in my mix, but when I start to add these elements, percussive tracks, they either get lost completely or end up muddying up the entire low end. If I attempt to combat this by removing low end from elsewhere, it may sound good during subdrops, but after the subdrop has finished, the mix will then be lacking. What I usually do is run my additional percussion straight into the master bus so that it bypasses the mix compression. I find that this helps them from ducking the entire mix when they hit. But I am wondering if you have another advice on how to combat this. Thanks for doing these. This is very informative. Well, Charlie, thanks for asking the question. Um, I like to use automation. So, you know, whatever tools you're using or whatever moves you're making to get that low end to drop out and make the sub drop sound right, you do it only for that moment and then you take it back out. And you do this with automation and, and there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, I even talk about some of this stuff on my Creative Live Studio Pass that I did uh, where I walked through mixing the, the song Move It by Down and Dirty and I show you how to make, you know, certain... Uh, what I would call momentary elements or transient elements, if you will, subdrops, you know, explosions, etc., to stick out in the mix. The matter of the fact is that you just only have so much sonic landscape to work with. There's not infinite space, right? So, in order for an explosion to sound exciting, a lot of other things have to sort of get out of the way, especially if you're already pushing the mix to the max. And that's that's what a lot. I mean, a lot of this metalcore metal music is. It's like a wall of sound. So you have to suck that wall back for a second, put the push the explosion through, and then bring the song back. And, and you do that with automation. So definitely uh, make sure that you do that. Because there's, there's really not like a static way to do it. All right, next question from Mr. Sam. I'm going to take a little drink here, too. Sam says, hey, Joey, just wanted to say that NTM and URM are incredible re resources for those who want to educate themselves in audio in a hands-on format. And we all appreciate the work you guys put into helping amateurs like us out. I've been really interested in plugins like OEK Soothe and Ozone Neutron recently as they are driving a little closer to the market of software and machine learning for fixing mixes and revealing problems without any effort. I know that JST, you're always trying to help musicians get their sound quick and easy, but I was curious on what are your thoughts about these? Basically, do you know, do you think that plugins that do all the heavy lifting in one stroke are good for mixing or taking away jobs from people who take the time to make stellar mixes with proper techniques, better understanding? Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Whew. Well, that is a mindful. 
Um, let's start at the base. Let's start at the, the beginning. What do I think about Ozon Neutron? I, I've never heard of OEK-SUS, so I'm not really sure what that is, but I'll talk about Ozon Neutron. And I will say that I've never used the plugin, so you know, forgive me if I'm wrong. But my, from seeing the marketing, you know, my impression is that this plugin is like a mix assistant, right? I'm gonna tell you, I think it's cool. In fact, JST had the same exact idea when I first started my company. Uh, I wrote down 40 different plugin ideas, and I still have those, and that's one of them. So they just beat me to the punch, which is fine. And I might still try my own version of it at some day, but here's why I think it's fine. Or, or actually, here's why I think it's great, because we lose track of what we're doing so often. We get so hung up into the craft and the tools and the gear and the studio and what you know what we do and who we are and all this but at the end of the day you can't forget that you're entertaining people that's all this is that's all music is it's for some guy to run on a treadmill and listen to a song while he's doing it it's for somebody to you know have the best summer of their lives and that's you're the soundtrack you know it's it's for somebody to uh who had a shitty week at work who, who escapes and goes to a show on saturday and 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 lives their life that way all we're doing is we're making music and anything that makes that easier is great and that's that's my approach to my company uh i want musicians to be able to make their own music to produce themselves to to not have a creative barrier and i think I think when you get signed, that's a creative barrier, for example. Uh, or when you hire a producer, that's also a creative barrier. Even if the producer is helping you, it's still a creative barrier because you have to go through somebody to even get an idea uh, you know, to the listener, right? Like the, the label requires you to have a producer because they don't trust you to do the album yourself. And then if you do do the album yourself, then you have the creative barrier of the label itself. So there's always a creative barrier. So I'm I'm just trying to eliminate those and break those down. And that's what I'm you know hopefully doing with some of my software. I think that uh, you know there's a lot of I'll just say let's make up an example like a bass player in a band has no clue how compression works, but he can buy gain reduction and put it on his demo on the demos that he records with his vocalist and boom all of a sudden everything sounds way better than it did before and they're and in their minds are thinking damn now i'm inspired to make more music damn now you know this is actually sounding pretty cool i, I kind of want to make some more demos you know that's the whole idea behind all of this um i don't you know i don't think i don't think it's taking away jobs we're always going to need to have professionals in this field and you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, the more the merrier. So, yeah, thanks for the question, Sam, and thanks for the kind words. Really appreciate it. All right, another drink. This question comes from Mr. Robert, and he says, My question is specifically for Joey since he produced the song that I'm talking about, but I suppose any of you can answer this question. I'm a songwriter and vocalist, so I've tried recording myself a few times, but every time I record my screams, you can hear what I think is my breath hitting the mic. I've heard something like this in the song IHE by Miss May I at the 251 mark when Levi screams, I hate everything. You can slightly hear what I'm talking about, but in my recordings, it's overpowering. 
I'm curious why this happens and how to get rid of it. Thanks, Robert. Well, Robert, thanks for writing in and thanks for asking the question. Um, there's a lot of things to pay attention to when you're recording vocals on your own. Uh, one is what I would call floor noise, and floor noise happens when you stomp on the ground or you grab the stand or some kind of vibration um, gets between them, you know, b- between you and the mic. And uh, this can happen in a lot of different ways. I mean, you might not even realize it, but for example, when I record Levi, uh, I remember he likes to get on his tippy toes, uh, and so he'll he'll be standing still, and then when he goes to scream, he lifts his heels up, and he's on his tippy toes, and then he, he does the vocal part, and then when he's done, boom, slams down, slams his heels down on the ground, creates a vibration, the vibration travels up through the stand and hits the mic and goes, right? So... At the end of all of his screams, you have to go in and edit that out. Um, i trying to think of some other tendencies, but yeah, everyone's got little tendencies, and you just have to edit them out. Like, don't be a bitch. Like, the thing is, people are in the moment when they're performing, and you don't want to get in the way of that, as, at least within reason. As, as long as you're not trying to interfere with the performance as much as possible, but, you know, still making it somewhat technically sound. Um you know, make sure you got a pop filter. If you don't have a pop filter, then every time you have a plosive that comes out of your mouth, that's like a little gust of wind, it hits the diaphragm too quickly or too violently, and it causes a a really big uh, bass sound to come through. So it's always good to have a pop filter, obviously. Um, The other things is like, pay attention to your habits. Uh, So, you know, like you said, you let's see what do you say my breath hitting the mic so for example um mic most microphones are very directional especially like a cardioid pattern so you know i'm i'm actually talking into this mic right now for for a lot of this uh episode i haven't been pointing my my voice at the mic if i point my voice at the mic right now you can hear how it's very clear and then if I turn my head 90 degrees to one side, like this, now all of a sudden it's not as clear. So you can see that just by turning your head a certain direction after you do a vocal part could probably remove a lot of the issues that you're talking about here. And sometimes, you know, I've told vocalists to do this in the past. Uh, if, if it's, if we're struggling with something or if we're dealing with a really delicate part or a loud part or something like that, uh, you know, and another thing is a lot of people deal with is headphone bleed, you know, like, uh, if you have open back or semi open back headphones, it's usually a pain in the ass, um, because it'll bleed into the mic. And, uh, if you use closed back headphones, it makes the mix sound really weird. And so you have to, sometimes you have to scoop it for the vocalist so that they don't get this overpowering mid-range in their ears um, and also so that you avoid the the bleed. Um, I've also heard of uh, some really cool tricks. I can't remember which producers did it, but they would put like a a low-pass filter on the mix that goes out to the vocalist to like wash out the cymbals and and filter out some of the high-end so that that high-end like wouldn't bleed into the condenser mic and so therefore the vocals would be even cleaner. Um, so you can kind of get crafty and do things like that. I mean, 
just realize like there's a lot of tools in front of you. Think about it. I mean, there's so many things that you can do with stuff that you already have and people just aren't doing it. So I would say that. Well, guys, that's all the questions that I have for today's episode. I know my episodes are a little much, a little bit shorter than um, the other gentlemen on our crew. <laughs> uh, they can ramble more than me, I guess. I'm not as good at that. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoy these episodes. Let us know what you think. Uh, put some comments in the good old private producers club. And if you're not a part of that, make sure you hit up support. You can go to urmsupport.com. We'd love to hear from you uh, and let us know what you think. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace out. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Ibanez Guitars and Basses. Ibanez strives to make high-quality, cutting-edge musical instruments that any musician can afford and enjoy. Visit Ibanez.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.